Wonderful. Well, thank you to Michael and thanks also to Andrew who, um, who uh, has been doing the slides for us so brilliantly. So thank you. Um, we have about uh, five minutes just for some questions uh, for Professor Ronald Hutton. Um, and so Ronald, if, you, if you're willing to come back, turn your, your camera and unmute your microphone, we've got a question um, straight away from uh, Susan uh, Greeny. Uh, Susan asks, um, do you think there is another emerging phase in your developmental model, perhaps 2015 onward, where certain right-wing groups adopt the symbolism and terminology of paganism to claim problematic nationalist and racist views? How can we work across different interest groups to attempt to counter such uses and perspectives? Um, what a brilliant uh, question. Ron, uh, Professor Hutton, would you like to, to answer that? With pleasure. Uh, the group's concerns are much more influential and important in areas of Northern and Eastern Europe. Uh, I haven't yet come across a significant presence for them in the United Kingdom, uh, especially with relevance to prehistoric sacred sites. I mean, there are a few internet blowhards with these views, but then they're one aspect of internet blowhards with the same views across the spectrum of religion and indeed partisanship. So it could be they're avoiding me, and therefore I haven't really run into them as much as some others. But that is not a problem which I find significant in Britain yet, compared with places abroad. When it becomes so, then I'd be delighted to help orchestrate a response uh, among my own networks. If I could just jump in, it's, it's becoming an issue. We, we do know of incidences at a number of prehistoric sites, particularly in the Avebury area, uh, Wayland Smithy, for example, West Kennet, um, where damage has been caused by such groups, and um, I think it's it, I think it's a growing, and it'll come <laughs> if if you haven't encountered it yet. <laughs> okay, um, I think the this that that is a different issue. Uh, I don't think the groups concerned are likely by these actions or many others to gain a wider following in the pagan or the popular community. What we're looking at here is uh, a matter of a response to criminal damage by groups committing criminal acts rather than having to cater for a spreading ideological movement. Um, does anybody else have any questions that you'd like to um, put in the, the chat box um, for Professor Hutton? Um, if not, I was going to use chair's prerogative and ask you a quick question, actually. From, so um, Ollie and I uh, do a lot of work with heritage organisations, and a lot of the work Ollie in particular has been focusing on is around authenticity. Um, and uh, the National Trust, in particular, one of our, our partners, works on spirit of place a lot. So this idea of... Um, you know, the authentic site and the spirit of that particular location and what's specific to that rather than another place. And I, and I wondered, have there been um, any heritage organisations that you've encountered who have started actually capitalising on this real connection to the spirit, spirit a living connection to the spirit of place, rather than seeing them as interest groups who might use the place for their own uses rather than to engage wider audiences? Not enough. It's starting. Uh, the spirit of place is part of the, well, zeitgeist uh, at the present time. Uh, I, I sit on the Board of Trustees of English Heritage, and as such, I'm very well aware of what happens in that organisation. And there's a tremendous movement to 
engender, link up with, partner the idea of the stories of place. So storytellers in one guise or another are becoming absolutely pivotal to the way in which we look at the places in uh, the, uh, the guardianship of the charity concerned. Uh, but there, there's not yet any indication that people with particular spiritualities are regarding as having particularly interesting stories to tell compared with others. And there are some exceptions to this at the local level, but it's not yet a significant part of the movement. There's some room for room for development. And um, we have got a, a last minute question from Diane. Um, so the dead, uh, so how far is there anxiety among modern pagans about the necessity of specific rights to benefit the dead? There's no sense yet of specific rights. There's a sense among leaders of particular groups that have claimed to speak for the ancient dead that if only they were let loose on the site's concern, they would produce a ritual which would make the ancient dead very happy. And in the very nature of things, uh, none of us can really contradict that. Uh, on the other hand, there isn't yet a, a broader coalition of groups that could produce some kind of common liturgy or set of liturgies that could be applied to this, as yet it's very ad hoc. Thanks, that's really helpful. I, I just wondered whether there was any kind of notion of place involved in that attempt to create or craft either idiosyncratic particular rituals in particular modern pagan groups, or alternatively, some more general ritual. I mean, how important is it that these rites take place in a place where putatively ancient pagan dead are also buried or are also to be encountered? I haven't encountered any general sense of this. I have encountered particular people and particular groups in particular places to whom it's very important, but not yet any general sense. Uh, when you listen to the chats going on online, when you read the zines, when you talk to the leaders of the organizations, this is not a topic that comes up in conversation or features very much in the articles. Thank you. We've got, uh, we do have one last question. I realize we're, we're just, uh, we need to, to close in a second, but I wondered if you had a quick answer to this question from Mary Bateman, which is, uh, you mentioned that the conflicts between spiritual seekers, heritage professionals and archeologists really begin from around the 20th century. Do you know anything about whether these sites were similarly contested further back in time, e.g. the 16th or 18th early modern antiquarianism, for example? No. Uh, there, is, there are no such cases beforehand. Uh, what you have instead is a very ironic and different effect, whereby antiquarians, the ancestors of archaeology, like John Aubrey and William Stukeley, realize that these sites are sacred places of ancient peoples. And then some of the locals realize this, they get the idea, and set about trying to destroy them in the name of their own Christian faith. So that is another kind of uh, collision caused over them that are quite a different kind from the present day. Brilliant, thank you very much, uh, Professor Hutton. Um, we will now close, close that session. I'm sure there'll be lots of other questions uh, that will be flooding in throughout the, the rest of the conference that I'm sure you'll, you'll be in a good position to answer. Um, we will now have a very short break, it's slightly reduced. Um, if you can all come back uh, we will start again at three, uh, five minutes past three. 
But could I ask that the speakers for the next session, so panel two, we have Dr. Nick, Nikki Garland, Dr. Lisa Tallis and Dr. Juliet Wood, if you could all join us please at three o'clock um, to check your presentations. But um, in the meantime, thank you very much, Professor Hutton. Uh, thank you too to uh, Michael, uh, Michael Carter and uh, a warm round of applause, a virtual round of applause for you all. Please turn your uh, videos and microphones off when you, if you go off for a little bit of a break, um, that'd be great. Thank you.